Welcome back to .NET Rocks from the other side of the pond. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm all right, friend. How are you? I'm okay. We're at NDC London, and this is the first recording that we're making here. Carmel, even Jess Pani are here, and we're going to talk to them about machine learning and some uh, combating illegal phishing, which should make for a really fun show. Yeah, interesting AI topic. How, uh, just, uh, it's been a while since we talked, Mr. Campbell. What are you up to? I've been, uh, you know, traveling hither and yon. Busy time of the year as usual, right? And, yeah. Uh, I popped up to Milton Keynes uh, last night and did an unplugged version of the history of .NET. That's so cool. No for, reporters. For, for people who don't know, what's Milton Keynes? Mil- uh, Milton Keynes is a, is a town about an hour's uh, train ride north of, of London and right near Bletchley Park and a lot of all that early computing technology from that part of the world. So is there a user group there? There was a user group there yeah. and it was a .NET user group. And, you know, I have done a lot of versions of history of .NET. Yeah. I'm always testing new material because right. I keep, you know, putting more things together. We're further down the path. Testing your jokes. They, testing the jokes. What's <laughs> funny, but also, you know, when I can do it in, pri- in semi-private in front of an audience. So I sort of, there was no recorders in it. I'm like, okay, well, I'm going to go unplugged here, close the laptop, and just started talking about some of the hard things right. and to see how folks reacted to it. So it was, I went over two hours. That is cool. They didn't move. Everybody, and I know you, you could go on for hours and hours and hours. And hours. I spent more time on the first two acts. Yeah. Uh, and spent less time on the fourth act. At the two hour mark, I'm like, okay, this is getting long now. Folks are going to get tired. It's 930. The, the, the buzz about this has got so epic that people are asking me if this particular era or content is in your book, yeah. right? You know, I don't know. You I don't haven't know. read the book. <laughs> I, I have some news too. Mm-hmm. John from Dev Express just dropped this by for me. Oh, the Blazer Road Show hoodie. Uh, yeah, it's got my name on it. Nice. So I remember who I am. That's a good thing. I look in the mirror. Yeah, because yeah, I keep thinking I'm Calvin Klein, but that's from looking at my underwear. <laughs> Yeah, and with that, (laughs) uh, we're going to roll the crazy music for a little thing called Better Know a Framework. Awesome. All right, man, what do you got? Since we're talking about illegal phishing, I thought I'd highlight a gadget that... uh, Allows for illegal fishing. I thought I was the toy boy. Like, what's going on here? <laughs> this is the wireless Bluetooth sonar fish finder. Okay. 54 pounds at outdoorsyculture.com. <laughs> and it looks like this little floating bubble. And you throw it out in the water. And then you hook up your iPhone to it and or your Android phone. And it tells you where the fish are. <laughs> so. You guys are not amused. That's actually what we've been trying to stop. So, yeah. it's very relevant. <laughs> exactly. And, and just to be clear, like, you don't throw this in the water. You stick it to the bottom of your boat. Yeah. And sure. it's bouncing off the bottom. Yeah. And so, it'll tell you what the depth of the water is. And if it hits a school of fish, it's suddenly going to get shallower. And fish reflect sonar a little differently. Did I ever tell you about um, this company that I used to work for? And I won't say who it was, but there was a guy there who told me a story, software that he had written years ago for the Russian Ministry of Fisheries to help find... As you do. To help find <laughs> fish. fish. <laughs> big old air quote fish. Yeah, great big steel fish. <laughs> yeah, he, he, you know, they always said it was for fish finding, but, you know, okay. back of his mind. Fish, there's like, different kinds of fish, for sure. This is a little fishy. Anyway, right. that's, that's what I got. That's hilarious. Who's talking to us, Richard? Grabbed a comment off the show. 1591. 
which is back in October of 2018. Yeah. Which is a show we did at NDC in Sydney, seeing how we're at NDC, London and all, you know, that side of the world, uh, about artificial intelligence with, uh, uh, Augustinus Nalwin, as you recall. That was one of those talks where we sort of, you know, Augustinus and I went tearing off onto sort of esoteric quantum chemistry conversations and things. And, and I sat in the corner and went, blah, 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 blah. <laughs> Yeah, it was one of those talks. Yeah. Uh, but Max had this great comment, which I thought was really appropriate for today, uh, where he said, I loved how this conversation went from the technical aspects of artificial intelligence to the ethical implications of using it in real life and to the possible outcomes of a sci-fi future. Mm. Uh, which was, yeah, that was the scope of that talk. And I feel like a conversation that we're going to have today is, is more of the same of sort of AI for good, AI for, for the things that we want in a society. Right. Uh, cause it's, e it's far easier to get freaked out all of the time about right. threats of technology. After all, it does sell more newspapers or clicks or whatever it is you want to sell. So, Max, thank you so much for your comment. A copy of Muse to Co-Buy is on its way to you. And if you'd like a copy of Muse to Co-Buy, write a comment on the website at .netrocks.com or on the Facebooks. We publish every show there. And if you comment there and I read it on the show, we'll send you a copy of Muse to Co-Buy. And definitely follow us on Twitter. I'm at Carl Franklin. He's at Rich Campbell. Send us a tweet. We remove barnacles with them. Nice. Da -dum, dum, dum, dum. All right. We'll keel haul you. <laughs> Uh, it's been too long, my friend. Mm -hmm. So, uh, let me bring on Carmel and Jess. Carmel Eve is a software developer at Engine, E-N-D-J-I-N, focusing on .NET and Azure solutions for reactive data processing. Through her work, she has gained a lot of experience in designing and building cloud-facing data architectures for processing large volumes of data quickly and efficiently. And Jess Pani has over 20 years' experience helping companies succeed through the smart use of technology. He spent most of his career working for leading Microsoft partners across the UK and Australia and is now principal at Engine, helping customers to become modern, efficient, data-driven, secure, cloud-first organizations. Welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yes. So, combating illegal phishing. You know, when I was a kid, illegal phishing meant a really, really bright light. <laughs> That's all you really need. Against the rules, man. Or or firecrackers or like dynamite. <laughs> that know. still happens, I believe. Yeah, that still happens oh, on a big on a big scale, large scale. Yeah, and, uh, and the um, in Indonesia and the, the coral uh, the, the, in the uh, coral reefs uh, in Southeast Asia. They're yeah, still dynamiting reefs. Yeah, it's a shockwave kill all the fish and then scoop them scoop up. Scoop them up, easier to go. I admit, as a kid, to have done the lamp in a in a in a basket. Yeah. It's astonishing how well that works. Yeah. You literally lower that in the water, the fish swim up to look at the light, and you lift the basket back up again. Lamp in a basket. Yeah. You know, when my, my father actually built boats. He's deceased, but he built fishing boats out of aluminum. And the first time I heard that fishing boats, when they go out fishing, I'm thinking, you know, rod and reel. No, no, no. They have nets. They trawl. They basically net, pull out these big nets and I was like, well, that's kind of cheating, isn't it? <laughs> Does it seem very sporting? No, it doesn't. But so, so I guess I'm leading all, this is all leading up to the question, what is illegal fishing in 2020? Well, I mean, the, the big challenge with illegal fishing, I think, is, is the sheer scale of it, the impact it's having. Um, interestingly, not, you know, on the environment, clearly, but also, I think, on people. Um, but how are they doing it is what I'm saying. Like, what are the methods that... You've mentioned a couple of them already. Um, you know, yeah. the, it's the, the, the big heavy trawlers are, are clearly, you know, pulling out vast quantities of, of fish from the ocean. But is that illegal? 
it can be if it's been done in the wrong place. Yeah, okay. in certain areas of the world, certain times of year, to sort of have a sustainable um, amount of fish in the ocean, they need to restrict what kind of fishing can happen in those areas. So, mm. um, so yeah, like being able to detect if someone's doing it somewhere they shouldn't be, or okay. if, or even like there's places where boats aren't allowed at certain times of year. So if mm-hmm. someone is somewhere they shouldn't, then to be able to detect that, it sort of yeah supports the ecosystem. The, the, the ocean is big. It is quite big. I'm a Canadian, so of course we had the turbot wars back in the day when Canada closed the cod fishery off the East Coast because it had been so depleted. And they, and they, uh, the ecologists said, look, if we just leave it alone for a few years, it'll bounce back. So we're really talking just as much about where and what you're fishing for as we are methods of fishing. Yeah, it's, it's, it's both. Um, certain types of fishing are, 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 are allowed certain times of the year, as Carmel said. Other types of fishing are allowed. So it is quite a, a, a challenge to, you know, identify who's doing things they shouldn't be doing and getting the people yeah. the right places and also, to stop like, that. As Jess was saying, it's, it's obviously massively about um, sort of uh, sustainability for the environment, but right. also there are huge populations worldwide that depend on there being a, um, constant source of fish because that's right. what, what the local people eat the whole time. Right. So if, um, it depletes too much, then it causes, um, like starvation, hunger. Or at least yeah. complete disruption of a, of a, a community. Yeah, exactly. Like exactly. So it's about the environment and also about the people in these areas of the world. So, so. it can actually be considered a form of warfare, actually. I mean, you're basically, depleting yeah. a food supply of a, of a population. And and then there's the aspect of it as well where um, illegal fishing activities are quite li- tightly um, linked with other criminal activities, so mm. human trafficking and that. So detecting illegal fishing and detecting these patterns in boats can oh, actually see. lead to sort of, um, by extension, um, help Finding with enforcement. Crimes. Yeah. Wow. Interesting. Absolutely. So is this mostly about just being able to find boats in water where they shouldn't be? Yeah, it is. Um, and also feeding that information to law enforcement, but also to the supply chain so that people who are buying fish, uh, you know, in, in the, in the markets, uh, buying them from sustainable sources. Cause often it's a bit, you know, it's a bit, it's a bit opaque in terms of where fish is sourced. So getting that information into the buyer's hands as well as the, as the law enforcement, uh, agencies. So I don't suppose you're out in boats with the little Bluetooth apps with a, you know. No, no. It's funny. It's, it, I didn't realize, but uh, yeah, boats over a, a certain uh, size have to broadcast regularly their position, information about who they are. Wow. Um, and, uh, and that information is tracked and, and behavior of, uh, behaviors of people, not only in terms of where they move and how they move, uh, but also if people suddenly stop, stop sending, sending messages, it's, it's a key indicator. So there's lots of different signals we can, we can use as well as things like satellite imagery, radar imagery. Yeah, I think something like. before doing the project I never really grasped was like how much data there is about the boats in the world because obviously there's a lot of vessels worldwide sure. and if all of those vessels are checking in regularly, that means that you've got all of this data that you need to process and monitor for these patterns. So, so this is not like the boat's completely secret, blacked out, nobody knows about it. These these are people operating boats that are sending legal signals, even if they're doing illegal things. Yeah, and there's certain things people do to try and cover their tracks, and it's trying to detect that as well. Right. Sort of, they're messing with the signals in summer's May. Because if you stop signaling that, I got to think is like a media coast guard warning is, hey, maybe this boat, boat, this ship's in trouble. It's gone down. There might be people to rescue. And if you're doing something wrong. Having a C-130 fly overhead to see if you're doing okay is exactly what you didn't want to have. <laughs> but I can imagine, you know, if there's a, a boat out there that's fishing illegally, they're going to try to be under the radar, quite literally. Yeah. You know? <laughs> they do. They, they do. go out at night. They don't 
broadcast their position. They don't follow the rules. They're exactly, exactly. Or, or they're, 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 the, the, the information that they have recorded and they're broadcasting about the vessel doesn't match the actual vessel because they've yeah. moved. And that's so like um, using a lot of different types of data. So there's the GPS data of them checking in. But there's also satellite imagery and stuff. So using all of that different information from different sources to try and work out. Exactly so now what's I'm going getting on. it. The whole machine learning comes into play because you want to find patterns that you're not. You don't know what you're looking for. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's it's uh, the the you mentioned there wasn't that many boats in the world, but um, the company that we we, we were helping is a company called Ocean Mind, and they uh, they have and if you come to the talk or if you see the talk, it's uh, there's a picture of a big screen they have which tracks all the vessels in the world, okay, and it just lights up and you can see the outlines of the continents, you can see actually how many vessels there are. And it's really quite staggering. Uh, clearly not all of those are fishing and clearly not all of those are fishing illegally, mm. but you've got, you know, huge, huge volumes of data that you have to kind of sift through and try and understand, okay, which one, who, who are the bad guys here, you know? And if we are talking about a certain size of boat before it's worth tracking. I mean, a guy in a, in a, in a yeah. I'm not sure a, what the exact size is, but there is, yeah, above a certain size, they do legally have to check in. And to. obviously satellite imagery, they've got to be above a certain size to be actually detectable. Right. <laughs> yeah. They can mm. actually be findable. But it, it, you're, are you, so you're actually composing, doing analysis between tracking information and satellite information. Yeah. Maybe ra- we, we think of radar as very cool, but radar information is really hard to work with. Like, yeah. It's not easy data. They, they, so, 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 so positional information is just part, as, as Kamal said, is just part of the equation. They need to correlate that with observational data. Mm-hmm. Um, so they will, um, you know, literally rent satellite time to go over a particular area and then to cry, try and correlate what their ML models are saying is going on in a particular place, um, with actual Match up, match up data from that a ship has checked in. Try and match that up and say, okay, we think that's that vessel there. We think that's that vessel there. And is it down to a ship by ship basis? Are you trying to look at fleets? Like it's ship by ship. Wow. So you've got these reports coming in from these boats are legally reporting where they're supposed where they are. You're trying to correlate all that to satellite data. Time signatures are going to matter, and they're never going to match. The moment they reported versus the moment that a satellite flew overhead is not going to be the same. So they will have moved by some degree. And you've got to sort of interpret that and figure out if that's the same boat. Can satellites, uh, satellite imagery see like infrared? Like, so at night, can they pick up boats? Yeah. I believe, I believe that's the case. Yeah. Um, yeah. What a world. <laughs> yeah, yeah dude, we could do a whole show on multi-spectral sensors if you want to go down. Let's that go. Path. Let's, you know, it's been a while since we've been geek out, actually. Well, and it's also a question of what satellites an organization like Ocean Mine has access to. I mean, the U.S. government has remarkable satellites, but what can you buy time on at a reasonable price? At the right times that are relevant uh, and, to you, and you have to be certain. You know, you have to be certain that the, the you know the chances are, you know, there is going to be a boat there where you think there is going to be a boat, mm. and and quite often, um, you know, we've heard stories uh, when we were speaking to Ocean Mind of real cases where they've spent an awful lot of money and they've just got blank ocean, Nothing. just lots and lots of nice yeah, pictures of waves, and, exactly. So it's 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 a it's a tricky one. Um, but a lot of this is pretty straight up data analytics stuff so far, right? Where does the 
AI part come in? So predominantly the AI is to narrow down the where to look right. essentially. So vessel tracks can give an awful lot of way, a lot, a lot of way in terms of what type of fishing is occurring and clearly where fishing is happening. So you know areas of the ocean where there are restrictions in terms of fishing. Mm-hmm. If you can track boats and you can track their positions and also their interactions, mm-hmm. which is also quite important in terms of how boats interact with each other. You can what, not- what does it mean to interact? So, for example, you might have trawlers out there literally 24 hours a day and then you'll have a, a ship come alongside to offload uh, the cargo, take that back to port and they'll carry on fishing. So, that is a, an indicator potentially of something, some fishing activity. Now, that may be perfectly legal, but if you see those behaviors in the ocean, that might suggest that something untoward's going on. Yeah, I guess irrespective of illegal fishing, it's can you identify legal fishing? Like actually see this Absolutely. is fishing behavior. Absolutely, yeah. The, the trawler's running a track and a factory ship taking a load. Like those are all parts, pieces of an overall fishing behavior. And then you add in this, that's an area that's currently and closed. Yeah, so really like narrowing down what which of these patterns does indicate illegal fishing and which of them that is a similar but actually perfectly legal behavior for a ship to be doing and that's the sort of they might not actually be fishing they might be you know seafloor mapping which (laughs) also runs tracks speaking of legal fishermen do is there do you know of do you hear of pushback from uh you know fishermen or fishing companies that feel like you know this they're being surveilled unnecessarily or uh you know I'm thinking of a story that I heard on NPR and I can't remember the exact details of it, but there was this company that developed a really, really powerful camera that could fly on the underside of a, of a, of a plane so high that you could not see the plane in broad daylight from the ground. And it would be taking pictures of an entire city in such high resolution that at any point in time, they could dial back, zoom in on a particular point and actually see cars and people. And they wouldn't be able to see faces and things. Obviously, you're high up, but but they could certainly identify cars and they could see where the cars were at a certain time if a murder had taken place, whatever, where it came from and where where it is at that point and the police could go in and bust them. And there was this huge blowback from people who were like, oh my God, I can't, you know, we have to stop this because we're being surveilled. Is there any, uh, it's just a side question, but is there any it's blowback? A fasc- it's a fascinating uh, point, actually. Um, uh, not that I've heard of. I mean, I think partly because, you know, when you commission a satellite, it's expensive. So you go to places that and target vessels that you're pretty confident something is going on in terms of a commercial aspect. Mm. Hopefully, people don't get targeted because they're on a cruise liner and yeah. uh, sunning themselves. Um, but it's a fascinating point. Um, and, and also, I think there's a, a saying like sort of legal fishing companies, they have an interest in people not taking all the fish out of the water when right. they're trying to. Uh, <laughs> so, right. yeah. yeah, not that I know of, but... Yeah. And could it just be a methodology thing? Like that area is allowed to be line fish, but it's not allowed to be trawled. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Because yeah. they target different types of fish that different times of the yeah. year or they're, you know, blanket and restrictions. Well, like, and with trawling, you basically pull anything yeah, out of the water. Right. So, so it is oh, really no. like. Yeah. And then it's up to you to throw back what you're not supposed to have. Yeah. Although it's all dead anyway. You, you kill yeah. They, they cheat the system. Yeah. Yeah. It is, it is the, the, you know, 
scorched earth method. And you see those fishing. those awful pictures of like you know whales and yeah. sharks just like caught up in the trawling nets yeah. and that kind of uh, avoiding that as much as possible, and especially in areas where the um, ecosystem's trying to rebuild. Like it's really important. Yeah, there's a very strong argument against trawling, and we were a little off topic here. Bottom trawling as well, but even just the general broad netting uh, approach. I was uh, you know reading the pieces they're doing in the South Pacific now, where you can line catch tuna with particular hooks so that it catches the sort of teenage tuna, not the breeding adults and not the babies, as opposed to when you net catch tuna swarms and so you catch them all, which, you know, from a pound-for-pound perspective seems very efficient. It just actually destroys the crop. You get no more fish after that. Hmm. So this project that you're working on, you get access to all this data, you throw it in the cloud. Um uh, what what cloud technologies are you using? Are you using Azure? Using Amazon? Azure, yeah. So yeah. we work mainly with Azure. Um, okay. So yeah, we um, sort of built a, a architecture on Azure, which was um, sort of serverless and very um, trying to process all this large amounts of data very efficiently. So using we used um, Data Lake and Azure Functions. Mm-hmm. And a data factory. So yeah, just um, combining services to try and um, produce an architecture which could like process this huge volume of data coming in quickly to get it into the system and then run the analysis over it. And, and time is of the essence here. Like, are you actually making calls to legal authorities while the illegal activity is still going on? Uh, yeah, potentially, potentially. And I think this, the, the constraints, I mean, Ocean Mind have been doing this for a long time now. They, um, they've, they've built up a lot of, uh, a lot of smarts doing a lot of research in, in, in this area, but they were constrained because they were running all their systems on premise. So they couldn't really scale. They were, it was more of an overnight batch kind of approach. And right. so they wanted to get much more real time, which meant moving into, uh, into the cloud. Um, and is that just from a, burst compute perspective or from a, it's, a conti- it's just so much compute it's so much compute when you're thinking about detecting something like proximity for example you're comparing potentially if you're not you know depending on how you approach it every vessel in the ocean with every other vessel in the ocean and right. that's quite a, you know quite a, a tricky a, a tricky task so um so yeah for, from from their point of view it was we want to do fast we want to do this fast we want to get the information into people's hands quick more quickly mm. because boats move and you want to get them you know, closer to the act, I suppose. Right. Um, but equally, as Carmel said, there are all these other things that are going on in the world that are really strongly associated with illegal fishing, like, you know, uh, human slavery, people trafficking, you know, that's going on. And, and Ocean Mind, uh, what I love about Ocean Mind is they're really passionate about using their technology and this approach for, to solve all the, all the problems. Uh, so it's very much, you're right, you know, we have something which works really well for illegal fishing, but how can we make it better, but also expand into other so it's areas? Just an, an extension of the work, or is there actually a correlation between illegal fishing and and human trafficking? Well, there is there is an association simply because a lot of people riding illegal boats potentially do everything illegal on boats. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You know, we've stolen a bunch of kids. We're going to sell into slavery. Let's throw a net over the side too. So I imagine you know drug trafficking, obviously drug trafficking, human trafficking, any kind of trafficking really absolutely yeah absolutely wow it just seems foolish if you're doing that to also throw nets in the water right like but you know if they were smart they wouldn't be criminals (laughs) but i guess there's also if you're trafficking um drugs or people like there's also people who have to go and pick up the fish which has been caught illegally and that if they're able to detect that then there's it could be a huge correlation with other things they're not allowed to Mm -hmm. yeah 
The other interesting one as well is they're, um, they're looking at um, sort of illegal salvage. So people who are going over heritage sites and, and, and diving and, and, you know, potential, you know, um, sort of grave sites. Uh, Pilfering. Exactly. Uh, it's another big problem. But it is, I think it's a, sort of like everyone thinks it's, it's all patterns. It's all patterns that um, if you can run, sort of expand the analysis that you can run over the data, then these are all patterns which can be detected. Or mm. and, Right. Yeah. Well, it's interesting to just think in terms of analyzing boat behavior from satellite level, from a radar level and saying that that is a, a pattern that matches working under underwater or that that matches trying to avoid authorities or matches entering restricted fishing grounds yeah they're all shapes of criminality i guess and guys hold that thought right there while we pause for this very important message my next one day online blazer workshop will be monday february 24th did you like dotnet conf but you find yourself wanting some personal guidance as you write that killer Blazor app? Well, let me personally walk you through building a real-world PWA app in Blazor, complete with EF Core, API controllers, generic reusable components, SignalR for real-time collaboration, ASP.NET Core identity for authentication and authorization, JavaScript interop, and user management, all using Visual Studio 2019 and .NET Core 3.1. And if you can't make it February 24th, you can download the screen video from a previous workshop and the materials, which will guide you step-by-step step with screen captures and code that you can just cut and paste. What are you waiting for? Go to blazer.appvnext.com to register for the workshop or just the materials. And we're back. It's .NET Rocks. I'm Carl Franklin. That's my friend Richard Campbell. And uh, that's Jess Pawnee and Carmel Eve, and we're talking about combating illegal phishing using machine learning with, with uh, these guys, with the technology. And OceanMind is the uh, company that you guys are currently doing this project for. My next question is, how effective has this program been? Can, and is it measurably more effective than what was going on before? So originally, they uh, Ocean Mind, were, as I mentioned earlier, were running systems on premise. Mm -hmm. They were constrained by you know the amount of servers they could actually get in, um, and and so their processing was very batch orientated. Mm -hmm. um, the big drive for this is to get much more real time analytics, yeah. uh, and the only I mean they're they're a not for profit organization, so you know right. the, the, the less time they are spent, you know, on their managing their their, their on premise servers, you know, they could be spending solving other problems. Mm -hmm. So that was the, the the big big challenge was was doing that cost effectively, um, and at scale and in real time. Um, and and and, and the, the only way we could actually do that, we when we first sort of sat down, we started running some of the numbers around some of the candidate service services. It, it really didn't add up in terms of the performance they wanted out of the system by using big platforms, you know, sort of IaaS, uh, infrastructure as a service-based compute um, because they're the, the running a you know, 44 node cluster. Yeah, so when we first started looking at the project, we looked at taking their existing system they had on-premise and moving that into the cloud, but you're, you're limited by the limitations of the existing system yeah. um, and also by the fact that... Um, these VMs would have been running the whole time. So right. it, when we looked at it, it would have been very, like, prohibitively expensive. Was it going to save sure. easy money by far? And were they using machine learning models already on premises? Yes. So they had already gone a long way down this fairly sophisticated path with their own gear. 
And you're really talking about a significant retooling of effort if you're not just going to shift their VMs into the cloud. But it also sounds like that they, because they weren't real time, how, f- how long did it take to run a batch? You know, were they able to keep up with it or did they have to sample like one a week and then? Yeah, know, that's I mean, one of the problems is, is, you know, when you're running uh, a lengthy overnight job, if it fails for whatever reason, yeah. you know, you've only got so much time to, to, to catch up. But were they able to take a day's worth of data, run it overnight and have an answer by the next day? That's what they had. Yeah. Ah, right. that was their original system. Um, and so the aim with us was sort of as and when the data arrived to be able to process that, um, in real time. close to real time and enable them to get this analysis done far quicker. So was the choice to use data lakes because you didn't want to spend any time Time munging the data and shaping the data before it goes into the system. You just want to keep dumping it in there from your various sources. Yeah, look, I mean, the, cha- the challenge is is we, we we did some analysis of the different options um, from using, um, as I say, sort of uh, more, more standard sort of analytical platforms to cloud databases like Cosmos DB, and, yeah. and we were looking at going. This is you know, there's a there's a better way. Yes, they're great products for certain for certain types of problem but really what where the cost for ocean mind is is it's 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 feature engineering at scale continuously a lot of it is how do we generate features which the machine learning models can consume Uh, and and that requires quite a lot of upfront sort of geospatial processing um and and how can we do that efficiently and and uh, in a cost-effective way as a not-for-profit they you know Mm. have limited budget so um so the way we ended up looking at it was can we replicate or, or, you know, enable them to do this analysis in a, um, using sort of cheap compute, cheap, uh, storage? Mm. So we ended up building quite a, um, uh, targeted system for their analysis. So we used Azure Data Lake, which is built in Azure Storage, quite a cheap storage option. It does enable a lot more security. So there's like fine grained security permissions, but as a service, it's quite cheap. And also a very appropriate name for what you're doing. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was the main reason. Let's go fishing um, in the data lake. Um, but so, data lake fishing. So, um, but so we, we took the data and we put that into Azure Data Lake. And then yeah. um, from that data, we um, projected, so uh, projected the data into structures which would support the analysis we were doing. So we needed to build up vessel tracks. So we put it into a structure which would make it easy to read out vessel tracks. Sure. So to go uh, read straight from the data lake into the um, data structure we had in order to do the analysis. So I we did we talked about data lakes a little bit, but uh, mm-hmm. refresh my memory. So on the way in, does the data get transformed into this structure pattern or does it do you define those structures when you pull it out? Um, so we... We put the data as it was into Data Lake, so didn't um, no we pass the data into a parquet form, so into a format that we mm. could use for the rest of the process- processing. Didn't do any transformation initially, but when those new data files arrived, we then kicked off a transformation process, which would get it into that structure oh. and stored that in the Data Lake in the structure we needed, and then the actual analysis could just read that straight out of the Data Lake. So we sort of had multiple. Um, Project, so we had the original data and then a projection of the data for our analysis. And it, uh, it also means that if we had a different sort of analysis that needed a different organization of data, we could then have a second projection of that data, which would allow the analysis to happen quickly for that data structure. The thinking of data lakes is like leave the data as is, mostly sort of chronologically and sourcing, 
But other than that, because you never know what additional analysis you might do. Yeah, so so definitely keeping sort of the data in its raw, like unclean format. Mm-hmm. You don't want to sort of too early optimize for, but yeah, because we optimizing would- is also like clipping off edges, removing things that may be valuable in some other analysis. Um, but yeah, so we ended up with multiple, um, possibly multiple projections of the data within Azure Data Lake, um, which for different types of analysis. And we could do that because Azure Data Lake is a relatively cheap storage option. Mm-hmm. It's essentially like multi-indexing the data, but without paying that premium price for multi-index storage. Right. And is there a, a lifetime for the data in the data lake? Like, do you guys have only so much space. Well, that's a really good, to- well, that's a good question because there was, a good, you know, the, the ocean mines have requirements to maintain, to retain a lot of data. They want to be able to go back, um, you know, quite significant periods of time, you know, 10 years or so if they, you know, wow. go back in time. It ends up going to court. Like, absolutely. You, this is evidence. Absolutely. But it's, it, you know, this, the big screen that I explained earlier where you can literally see every vessel. It's kind of like you can move a slider and go back to what, 10 years. Literally, you needed that live query wow. support. That is crazy. Be able to just cool. roll back and forth on the motion. Exactly. All those boats. But the problem is you load all that data into something like Cosmos DB, it ends up costing you an absolute fortune. Oh, yeah. And, and you don't need that low latency. Like, the Cosmos DB is super cool. But it's transactional. Yeah. You're talking about sort of a historical log. Mm. And the the timeliness of the current analysis is one thing. But outside of the first 30 days, after that, it's just storage, really. And Cosmos DB does have um, spatial capabilities. Mm-hmm. And like, so we, originally, we're looking at that going, the can this help us? Yeah. yeah. Um, and as it turned out, actually, it didn't quite support what we needed anyway. But it, yeah. it was that because they needed all of this data stored, we couldn't like, it was completely prohibitive yeah. to be able to store Hugely that on in Cosmos. Costly. So but it's all that real-timeness that it has in Cosmos DB, which is super cool, but probably not essential to what you're doing so tell me about the 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 kinds of data that are going into the lake so you you said satellite images so satellite satellite images literally go satellite images literally go in we've got um are they just a series of photographs yeah yeah essentially yeah just literally photos a lot of jpegs uh there's a lot of jpegs um vessel tracks uh, that come in in binary format that we need to parse quickly. Right. We actually ended up writing, so it, it comes in in a format known well from a, known as AIS, uh, which is a, you can go and get that data if you want to and do it's some binary. Format. Yeah, it's a binary format, and, and the challenge for us was getting that in, getting it parsed into a format that we can actually use. Yeah, like um, JSON and JSON, and we actually ended up writing our own AIS parser because. The .NET parsers were pretty slow. Yeah, um, yeah. We spent a, quite a lot of time focusing on really low allocation compute, so we wrote right. a very low allocation AIS parser, which is actually open sourced. Let's have a look at AIS.NET. Yeah, <laughs> and that's the problem with with these types of large sort of IoT almost like workloads. You know, you, you, these small optimizations actually yeah. add up when you're processing billions of messages. Oh yeah, I bet. Um, so that yeah, and there you go. And you can't let it get behind. You have to increase the compute power to keep up with the data. Absolutely. That's and so, and our challenge was again the cost down. How can we not only process this data but do it cost effectively? And that's where Azure Functions came in that Carmel mentioned because we were like, can we run this on a consumption plan? With 1.5 gig of memory limits, can we stream that data in? You know, wow. can we can we can we do it with all the constraints that, that provides? 
Um, and that was a challenge, you know. Um, we had we had options that if we couldn't, we could have broken out and used more of a capacity based skew. But right. um, we really wanted to to try and you know get this down, and actually it worked really well. And um, everything at the moment is running on just standard capacity. Uh, like consumption plan, yeah. yeah. Wow. Sorry, right. consumption so, plan. So yeah. I, know, I, I mean, what, interesting when you think about a, a not for profit like this, where they don't make more money because they find more data. You know, they, they're not that, that model that, well, we get busier because we're more profitable. So we have more money to spend on that. They're trying to stabilize their spend and get results. Absolutely. Yeah. And also, you know, it's a great cause. They want to get as many results as possible. Yes. Like that's the driver mm -hmm. and trying to do that within a budget is, yeah. And you would hope more money would come in for them as they get more effective, but there's no guarantees on that. Being efficient with the money is super important yeah. here. Yeah. So. I'm, fa I'm just thinking about that vessel tracking problem. You've got the data, you've got your AS data set, which is what they've said they were doing. And then you have satellite images, which are really just a series of pictures. And so you're trying to match GPS coordinates that they're feeding against the GPS coordinates of these images, which are going to be some standard of error. But even pull out the bad actor here. Given this data is all correct, it's still not going to match. Like this guy, they to actually say that's the boat that is reporting this information. And this is where it moved from a series of photos and a series of data points. That's a, that's a cool piece of software, man. That's I'd what have a they lot do. Fun working on that. Yeah, no, absolutely, and that's what they do. I mean, the the, the idea is to get more and more confidence. Mm -hmm. um, they, uh, you know, are you they, doing like a track fitting, like based on these sets of coordinates over time? It looks like they move like that. Yeah, and then we compare these images, line up their locations, and see some. Dot yeah, moving yeah, on so it. A lot, of, the same way. a lot of the analysis we doing we were doing was on vessel tracks, and so taking a series of data points and sort of using interpolation to Fill build up a long uh, vessel track. So mm -hmm. overall, where has that vessel been in the last? But this is where the smarts come into it. Is that they, you know, they got some smart people who've been doing this, you know, building models for a long, long time. Right. Um, uh, you know, we're basically feeding those models, doing you know a lot of pro that heavy lifting work to get this data in the right shape to find the features that drive those models. And I think the next step is now to you know we've got this you know, you know on a new platform with huge capabilities now um is what can they do next you know how can they make it better how can they you know they've got potentially infinite you know sort of options now sure. so it's I mean, a massive enabler. track now you can start mapping what does this track say behaviorally this is a trawling behavior this is a piracy behavior but do like, you know yeah. that stuff or does the as the machine learning figure machine it out? learning figures that out yeah. so we do we we work out we work out the things like you know where where vessels are obviously and um, you worked that out from both the data and the images like you, uh we've the feature engineering stage is primarily based on vessel tracks uh but the imagery feeds then into that process um and that all goes uh, to an analyst who verifies and just makes sure that that data is absolutely spot on before that gets passed on. So obviously, it, again, it's about really reducing the work for the analysts right. to sure. say, like, you know, narrow down on things which are actually interesting and therefore they're not looking at hundreds of irrelevant images. Right. And so bring themselves out on that. Absolutely. So in terms of the images, do you do any processing on them to try to correlate positions as it goes into the data lake or is that something that's just there for reference that's predominantly there for reference but there are opportunities to use that data for much better things and analyze them, uh, right? exactly and yeah. that's the that's the purpose of the project is to enable those sorts of 
that type of analysis, which right. they could not do on premise because they simply just didn't have the, uh, the, they've got the smarts behind it in terms of building the model, but they just don't have the actual raw compute to be able to do so that. The, level so of analysis. the ML doesn't necessarily say, Oh, we, I see this ship has, is broadcasting this location at this time. Can I go into the, do some image analysis and determine, oh, yes, they were there or they were not there. Yes, essentially, essentially the models sort of say detect the type of fishing where it's going on. Um, they can go down to quite, actually quite specific, you know, right down to exactly what sort of equipment they think they have on board. Wow. They, uh, based on, uh, the model, their models. Uh, and then it's a case of, okay, well, cro- correlating that against what they're broadcasting, the, the equipment they've got on board, right. um, the size of the vessel, whether that matches the types of behavior they have. And then, uh, as I say, they have analysts which are double-checking, verifying, yeah. correlating that information. So it's not really it like out. cognitive services looking at those images in, in ML and they, they, they have they're they're they're, they're looking in they, they've, they've explored they're exploring those possibilities yeah. as, you know the move into azure allows them to start looking at all sure. the services offered by azure and sort of how working those into the solution as it stands it's, yeah it's the next generation of the but it's services. all possible that's the, cool well, that's the beauty of it yeah that's the beauty of it wow um now- are there bad actors sophisticated enough that they're literally transmitting lies through that AS system? Like they're, they're saying they're somewhere that they're not because they're going somewhere they shouldn't be. There's an element of, um, the, the, the equipment that the transponders that are installed on these boats, there's a certain element of tamper proofing. Right. So, uh, there are attempts to stop that happening and there are severe penalties for tampering with with those things those get regularly audited when they go back into ports Uh, they get regularly checked uh, make sure everything sort of ties up so there's a certain barrier or a certain risk mitigation to some extent Um, what's possible will you know if you're doing something illegally, you find a way probably to try and circumvent it. Yeah. And as technology gets better, people will find new innovative ways of doing that. So we're generally talking about, about maybe cartels. These are not bad state actors per se, or maybe they are. How far, how far does this go? Oh, well, that's a great question. <laughs> yeah. That's Guess a great one question. That they're trying to answer. <laughs> yeah. Well, because mm. I'm perfectly aware that military is capable of distorting GPS signals to the point where a GPS receiver just receives lies. So you don't need to tamper with the box. What you can do is deceive the transponders. But if you can detect, if you can detect suspicious behavior from a transponder you, and you can correlate that with observational data, then you can send somebody out and say, hold on, intercept that vessel yeah. because it's. No, it was moving on its track when it left port and then it left yeah. a thousand exactly. miles. Exactly. 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 Those yeah. sorts of, th- and those are the patterns, exactly the types of patterns yeah. that, that we you know who's, you know who's working hard on this problem? The Pokemon Go guys. <laughs> <laughs> Because people want to cheat to collect them all, right? <laughs> Do I'm people actually, still play that game? People still play that game. And, and I li- literally, there was a conversation going on about how they detected that a guy was spoofing GPS signals well enough to go collect Japanese Pokemon without going to Japan. It's like, you need a new hobby. Yeah, right. Like, really? Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, you should talk, Mr. Game. Mr. Uh, what was that game that you played uh, on the road trip? I don't know, yeah. But see, at least we were actually playing that well, game. Well, it's true. But right? all right, so you got to tell the story. <laughs> Now that I can't remember the name of the game, but own you, this world, That's own this world. Yes. So you had to physically pick be. up squares of real estate yeah. as you move. So we go on this road trip a couple of years ago and Richard's playing the game the whole time. 
And because he's recorded, because we're driving all over the United States. I mean, we went back and forth. We zigzagged like yeah. three times. And so you actually won. I got, I reached first the top place. tier on that briefly. There were other players, but did get, get all the way top of it. But I actually went to all those places, but, but you were so obsessed with it that you wouldn't, you would sit in the driver in the passenger seat the whole time. Remember, like whenever you were we were emotional. Always. And we were doing shows. So while we're in shows, you know, uh, not playing. <laughs> But while we're tra- traveling, oh no, I'm going to collect them all. I'm just a little pot meat kettle here. <laughs> you, know? happy. you were very obsessed but, with Yeah, that. the idea that, it, I mean, it's interesting, the game cheat business, right? That there are folks who work very hard to be able to cheat at video games. Yes. We've, even to the point of spoofing GPS data. And then you take it to something profitable, right? Like yeah. being able to to catch fish or to smuggle people. Right. And yeah, how far will they go? What's possible there? And what's, you know, reasonable? This, we, we're doing, a, this is not an unprecedented idea, right? We're seeing more and more smart logging systems, machine learned logging systems that look for behavior that represent attacks on websites and so on. A, a distortion of behavior in GPS data, even if the system is trying to solve it, what it does is just point it out to you. Yeah. I think about all of these um, radiological uh, analysis systems. Right? For radiologists, it's not that the radiologist is in the loop anymore. It's that the software is focusing on the anomalies. So that you don't have to go through the 99% that is expected data be able to just focus on it's finding you the 1% and going, this is when the ship teleported thousands of miles. And I think it was an important thing of the talk this morning about um, it, you do need um, analysts, you do need someone sort of involved in the process sure. so that these models don't, um, like especially in something critical like radiology where it can be quite dangerous, as mm-hmm. I was saying, to get this wrong. Like there is always an element of you need to be constantly monitoring this stuff, but if we can uh, sort of reduce the workload of the people doing that monitoring. The, so they actually get impact. to do their job better. I mean, that's the interesting part is like, Software, but this is, it's funny how we suddenly get in this idea that as soon as you put an AI label on it, it's a job replacer. Right. Rather than a job amplifier. Enhancer. This is a, just like all the other analytical tools we had. This allows the analyst to spend more time on the important data and less time on and, well, and it. And means, means more effective and more frequent arrests. And, and this is right? a lot about the sort of like enabling enhancement of like a lot of the job we did with ocean mind was about enabling them to spend more time like use all this smart like brain power they had to spend more time solving these really important problems rather than spending time managing their on-premise systems and that right. moving to the cloud data moving to the cloud are you using some of the like cognitive services the ai services that are in the cloud now the pro the the, the initial phase of the migration was uh, it was around getting their data and and getting the data into their existing ml models right uh the next phase is very much how can they exploit all the new services. Yeah, to, so you've to, obviously got a remarkably skilled set of people at Ocean Mine. If they were building useful ML models absolutely. by hand on prem, that kind of puts them in a different league than a lot of other organizations. Yeah, in some ways they and, don't. And need very the much tools. as well, like you know, ahead of the curve. Like they've been mm-hmm. doing this stuff for a long time, sort of like real analysis of data to get 
insight and then yeah it's sort of opening up new possibilities and enhancing that system is what we're working it's, 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 you know, it's born out of a love of trying to do good things and and you know, uh, data for data's sake but hey we yeah. can actually help save fisheries of the world absolutely here. that's a big do motivator you, you know. do you have any stories of uh success stories of being able to actually intercept things There's, as they're happening there was a um definitely a promotional by that microsoft released of um they went on a um a mission with them to sort of uh, like intercept some but i got yeah there's a great video online a great if, you, video. if you look for ocean mine microsoft uh there's a brilliant video that, that talks about all that yeah yeah i see um so and you guys have been showcased at conferences on stage by microsoft right yeah it's a it's a really good it's a really good story yeah Microsoft AI for Earth. Yeah. <laughs> so part of the project is for, I mean, one of the, one of the motivations is to try and get, you know, scale the organization outside the organization. So how can, how can Ocean Mind collaborate with people outside the organization through sharing models, uh, potentially data as well to get other people involved? Um, and the AI for Earth project, uh, program from Microsoft encourages you know, those types of, um, those types of engagements and those types of projects. So the other part of the engagement was exposing some of their core models, uh, through APIs, um, to, for other people to consume. And that was another interesting element of the project, which we haven't talked about so far, um, which is to have they take their existing on-prem models, run them in the cloud, uh, you know, efficiently, but expose them through APIs so that they can, you know, control who has access, uh, you know, control people, you know, consuming too much of their services and taking it away from their core business, all those kind of controls they needed to put in place. And that was a key element of the Microsoft, um, you know, involvement was to, you know, to help, uh, that, that story. And yeah, and, once you get into Azure, you have all that API governance and things like that stuff is built in for you. You don't have to roll your own. Absolutely. Which is further and further away from their core mission, right? Like yeah. the fact that they can just, that's just a service you switch on and configure. And then it now that's covering all, all of that responsibility they have. Absolutely. Yeah. That's really useful. And, and thinking, and thinking a little more broadly as a whole. I mean, it's, it's actually a great move to the cloud story. As well as this, hey, did you know we can use machine learning to do something this specific? Yeah, right. You know, very, very particular uh, use case, without a doubt. Very cool. So I guess the next phase is going to be a lot of fun for you guys, right? The uh, analytics and things. That it's, a co- it, it's a constant evolution. It's, yeah. it's looking for the opportunities and uh, seeing where we can, you know, help them uh, and where Ocean Mind wants to go in terms of their focus. And because it's not just fishing. It's not just fishing. Yeah, no. it's it's any. It seems like anything to do with people utilizing the ocean for bad, essentially, whether that's smuggling people across the water or drugs or or you know damaging the damaging the ocean floor do they have any intention of expanding out beside uh outside of ocean seafaring uh i think that's quite a lot to be working with for the moment but i don't uh, it wouldn't surprise me yeah <laughs> 60% of the surface of the globe you want to take on the other 42 <laughs> you know there's yeah. lots of track on land as well yeah there that's true and and probably a little bit more difficult to work with data that you can gather on land and on sea because of regulation. It's not as regulated, yeah. Well, this is very cool, guys. Uh, is there anything that we uh, forgot to talk about or anything that we missed? Uh, not for me. <laughs> no, I think, I think we covered everything. Covered um, it? Great. Yes. Well, uh, Carmel, Jess, thank you very much for uh, 
talking to us. This is fascinating stuff. Thank you. Thanks Thank for having you us. Having us yeah. All right. We'll see you next time on .NET Rocks. .NET Rocks is brought to you by Franklin's Net and produced by Pwop Studios, a full-service audio, video, and post-production facility located physically in New London, Connecticut, and, of course, in the cloud. Online at pwop.com. Visit our website at dotnetrocks.com for RSS feeds, downloads, mobile apps, comments, and access to the full archives going back to show number one, recorded in September 2002. And make sure you check out our sponsors. They keep us in business. Now go write some code. See you next time. Got a transmitter band by the FCC. Yes, I'm a